Good morning. My name is Matt. Well, I am really glad to be with you. We are in the book of Mark. So if you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 2. I'm going to be reading from verse 1 through verse 12. Hear the word of the Lord. And when he, Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, Some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they were questioning within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, Johnny hasn't walked in 52 years. In 1967, Johnny Erickson Tata dove into a shallow shallow lake and broke her neck. How many of you guys know Johnny Erickson Tata? I think so. She was just a teenager. And from that day forth, she was never again able to really move her legs or her, her hands. Her arms and her legs were paralyzed. And she was young in her faith. She found herself in the early days after the accident in the hospital, and, and she, would, she would sing hymns and songs, and, and, and she, would, she would pray and ask God for, for healing to bring something new about. When people would come and say, can I read something for you or over you? She would always say, yes. Would you please read from John the, the parable when Jesus, when Jesus meets the, the man, the, the paraplegic at the, uh, at the pool of Bethsaida and, and heals, him. Would you, heals them? Would you, would you read that parable for me? She went to a healing conference, was really excited. She got sectioned, put down in the, in the, the, um, the wheelchair section. And, but week after week, month after month, she didn't get any better. She found herself after a season of time just going into despair, into depression. She told her sister that was caring for her and some of the women that were helping that she didn't want the, she didn't want the blinds open anymore. She just wanted to stay in bed, and she did. She stayed in bed for weeks on end. She found herself after weeks and weeks of time in this state, awakening to the realization that, that all of her energy, all of, the, all of the zeal of her prayers, all, of, all the hymns she was singing, all the scriptures she was asking people to read over, all the, the conferences she was going to, all the pleas, demands, and asks she was making of God, that they were actually all so that he would do what she wanted done. That they weren't about Jesus in any way, shape, or form. They were about what she needed and wanted and had to have from him, namely, to walk again. 
She wanted to walk again. I don't think any of us would fault Johnny for wanting to walk again, right? I mean, if I was her, I would want to walk again too. But she had to walk. And so she plummeted into some real struggles. And and having come out of that and having come to a place where she realized it was not Jesus that I wanted anymore. I just wanted my good life that was taken from me. And it could be reinstated. He could reinstate the good life I had promised, the good life I was promised. But he didn't. It's been over 50 years since Johnny broke her neck. If you get a chance to, to hear her speak or go on YouTube, you can hear her speak. She speaks from her wheelchair, and what happens when you listen to her now is you hear from a woman who has found something better than walking. She calls it a a deeper healing. And man, is she something. Well, that's what we see this morning, that Jesus offers first, Jesus offers the thing that is better than walking. Secondly, that Jesus knows the things that are in our hearts. And third, that Jesus does the thing that is easier and harder. That Jesus offers the thing that is better than walking. This is a dramatic scene. It's pretty vivid, right? I mean, you can totally imagine it. Four guys come in. They can't get in. And so they just start carving a hole. Now, just imagine if this was happening right now and someone with a blowtorch just started cutting a hole through our, first of all, I'd be a little frustrated. We just painted. But if that happened and, and they suddenly lowered someone, everyone would be shocked, right? I don't think anyone was going like, this is just a normal Tuesday at Jesus's house. Or maybe it was Peter's house, which is probably why he was frustrated, right? All the people tearing up his roof. So very dramatic scene. This man comes descending into the middle of where Jesus is standing And it seems like everybody understands. Everybody knows what's going on. This is a paraplegic. He can't walk. He can't stand. He can't move. He's being lowered through a roof. The people who are dropping him down understand. The scribes understand. The crowd understands. The paraplegic certainly understands what's going on. But Jesus doesn't seem to understand what's going on. Because what he says In the scripture, he says, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paraplegic, rise, pick up your bed and and go home. No, nope, that's not what he says. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Son, your sins are forgiven. Cheer up, buddy. It's worse than you think. That's what he's saying. Here's the principle that emerges here. What what, what Jesus is showing us here is that the main problem in someone's life is not their suffering, it's their sin. That the main problems and problem in in your life and in my life are are actually not my suffering, though it's the loudest thing, it's actually my sin. And and I and I recognize the times. You know, I, I know that that's maybe not the most popular thing to say in the cultural context in which we live when, like, sin's not even a real thing. I'm not sure God's a real thing, and so certainly sin can't be a real thing, but, but this is what Jesus seems to be pointing out here. Seems to be emphasizing, seems to be placing on top of what we would think the good life is. Jesus wants to give you what you never knew you always wanted. And here's the thing. Last week I used this metaphor, and I'll reuse it today. 
This little cone is the good life that I imagine, right? This is the good life that I imagine for myself. And, and what I find myself naturally doing, especially if you've walked with Jesus or if you know him a little bit or you hear some of the promises he makes in the Bible, is you go, Jesus, that's the good life over there. I would like to be successful. I'd like to be impressive. I'd, I'd like people to respect me. I'd like to, I'd like to have a, a good home and a, and a safe, safe relationship and a good relationship with my family. And I'd like to have really meaningful things going on in my life. And I'd really like to be protected from bad things happening. And that's the good life over here, whatever that is, whatever version or context or that would be, and in this case, it would be, you know why he showed up, right? He wants to walk. And, and what we talked about last week was that we find ourselves saying, we're just going to take Jesus and we're going to hook him, we're going to take Jesus and we're going to hook him to the good life that we imagine and we're going to ask him, would you bring this good life to me? We're just, I'll follow you, Jesus. I'll follow you to the good life that I've decided for myself. And, and as I said last week, Jesus is not interested in bringing your good life about. He's not interested in that. And so when the paraplegic comes and he's saying, I want to walk, a good desire, right? It's a good desire. I want to walk. The good life would be walking. Jesus said, I know this is what you think the way is, but it's just not my way right now. I have something else for you. Son, your, your sins are forgiven. I'm going to give you the thing you always knew you never, never knew you always wanted. A couple weeks ago, I um, I just gotten back. It was right after Thanksgiving. We'd been out in Colorado Springs with uh, my son Nathan, and um, it was what three weeks after we moved into this place, which was pandemonium. Um, and so we got home, and I was like like itching to go. I'd been away a week. I felt like I'd kind of dropped the ball with my team being gone because you know. That's how I roll. And, and so I'm feeling like there's so many expectations. There's so many things to do and so many things to happen. And, and so, like, I, I get up early that morning and I start trying to answer a bunch of emails and just because I'm going to get ahead. So that's what 5 o'clock is for. And so, like, so I'm up early and, and I go and I get a shower and I'm, like, raring to go. And I get out in the living room. I'm dressed. I get out in the living room and I'm about to tie my shoe and I pull on my shoelace and my back goes out. And I may say go out, like it's only happened this way, this badly one other time. And it's one of those really uh, dignified kind of fall to your knees, fall on the ground, and you can't quite catch your breath. So Becky helped me about 10 minutes later after I tried a couple chairs crawling on my hands and knees to get there. I found a spot on the couch with one leg up and one arm over, and, and it didn't hurt terribly. And, um, and I was angry. I mean, like, like the kind of angry you're not allowed to be when you're a pastor, that kind of angry. The kind of, you know, the kind of angry you are. Um, <laughs> you don't understand, like, there was something that was just about to happen, and it was, it was taken away from me, and, and after anger seething, I, I just, I started to cry. And Becky, Becky was there, and I'm just, I'm just starting to cry, it's like, I know you don't cry and you can't go to work, but apparently that's what was going on for me. But, but the, the, thing, the good life was being taken away from me, and it took me a full day of just struggling with God and wrestling with him to finally hear something that sounded like, Matt, your sins are forgiven. It's, cheer up, it, it's worse than you think. The thing you're actually trying to accomplish is not the thing that I actually have for you. And for three days, you're going to lay here in this direction, not coming and accomplishing the things that you have to for your own sake. It's worse than you think. I'm not giving you the good life that you think you have. I'm giving you something else. And I'm pointing to that is that you're going to need 
forgiveness. You're going to need redemption. You are a man in need of redemption. Son, your sins are forgiven. If I could just walk the paraplegic things, then, then everything would be perfect. Everything would be okay. Life would work. You know this. You have this. I, I bet if we talked to your spouse or to your friends or to your kids, you would know what that looks like. If this hadn't happened or if this could finally begin or... Here's the thing. Jesus says your sins are forgiven because forgiveness is not an idea. Forgiveness isn't some philosophical concept. Forgiveness is the doorway through which we are with Jesus. It's the, it's the access, it's the entryway, it's the opening to relationship with him. And as we said before, he's not just the avenue to the good life, he is the good life. And so what we learn is Jesus is saying, walking won't do it for you. I mean, wouldn't it be great if we actually had, you know, Acts chapter 37 or something that told us about, and the paraplegic, after 19 years of having been healed, like suddenly it was just kind of old news and didn't, it wasn't as big of a deal anymore, which is what happens to you and me, right? The thing that was so transformative, the thing that we were so changed by God, it was back there and it just doesn't have the same kind of power today. And Forgiveness is simply the doorway to himself. It's the means of a the basis of a relationship with Jesus, which is, which is what Jesus is interested in for you. I don't want to ruin all things for you, but you understand that's the only thing he's interested in for you. Everything else flows out of that. It's the thing. It's what he's pursuing you for and to, and so forgiveness as the doorway is central what you really need. Some of us are finding ourselves going, yeah, 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 forgiveness. Like maybe this is where you find yourself, maybe this is where you were during the, uh, the confession of sins piece. You're like, yeah, yeah, I've sinned with my mind, sinned with my heart, I'm trying to keep cadence with the rest of the people. And Jesus is saying, no, it's, it's worse than you think. It's, it's way worse than some of the things we read on there. It's, it's deeper than that, and it's going to require something something transformative. We long for walking. Jesus says, I understand, and, and I'll get to that. And sometimes he does right away. Um, but in the early 90s, my mother-in-law, uh, Carol, went through uh, breast cancer and um, it was a wildly transformative time. I mean, God met her in, in some ways that she had ever never experienced or known him before, and there was an, a, a revival in her soul, and all of us family members who, who knew her before and knew her in the midst of, like, were shown the reality of, here's a woman who was brought to her knees, brought to her knees, and then, and then by the grace of Christ, experiencing his both delight and his forgiveness for all the things that hadn't been was raised up. I'm talking internal transformation of a person. Oh, and then he also healed her cancer. It's been 25 years now, remission. Sometimes God, sometimes Jesus says, yes, not only do I forgive you and do I revive you, but I also, I also am going to have you walk. And then sometimes the walking is yet to come. Because he does say, I'll, I'll get to that. 
You, you ever wonder, you ever thought about, in this, if you've read this story before, heard this story, um, what if Jesus had said, your sins are forgiven, and then just gotten up and walked out? Like just, just imagine that for a second. Like, what do you feel? I mean, isn't he there to be healed? I think our natural inclination, and of course we know the story, so it's hard to kind of pull out of that, but our natural inclination is to say, but you were shorted. You were shorted the answer that you came for, and, and loved ones, what I would say is I don't think he would have been in any way, shape, or form. And Johnny would, Johnny Erickson Tata would sit here in her wheelchair and she would say, nope, he wouldn't have been, because she wasn't, still isn't. Now, she's received the first, and she's saying, that's, that's good enough for me. And ironically, the absence of the second has actually made her into the kind of person that she would never would have been otherwise, and that just should blow all of our minds. My mother-in-law now has Alzheimer's, and that is not going to get fixed. And so she gets to still hear, daughter, your sins are forgiven. And I will get to that one day. You'll have your heart and mind and body back. It'll all be back but not today, not now, and not here. This is, I think, exactly what Jesus was talking about when he's talking to his disciples. Um, in, uh, in Luke chapter, chapter 10, he sends out 72. This is a bunch of guys that have been following him, the 12 and then a whole bunch of others, and he gives them power and authority to go and cast out demons and to do miracles, and all these, I mean, all these amazing things happen, and they are just, I mean, they come back on the, like, high school retreat high, you know, because a bunch of them are teenagers anyway, so they're just like, whoa, Jesus, you know, they're just super excited, and, and, no, and nothing could be better than this moment, and, and Jesus looks at them, he goes, it is amazing, and then he says this, nevertheless, he says, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. Don't, don't rejoice in the fact that you have this incredible impact, this incredible ministry, this, the way in which like, you're changing the world. Don't rejoice in that. Well, that's kind of a bummer. What does he say? No, instead, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What he's saying is he's saying re rejoice because... Because the things that would have kept you from myself and from eternal life with me have been removed. Rejoice in that, that your names are written in heaven. Oh yeah, impact, that's awesome. Significance, rock on. But no, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice in this. Because here's the crazy thing. If you will, and to the degree that you will rejoice in that, into that unbelievable forgiveness and relationship that he's made possible, to the degree that you'll do that, well then these things... Well, they're just sweet and true and good. And you can take them and receive them. And they're not, they're not messed up. And, and you want to walk, but you don't have to. And, and you want to have impact, but you don't have to. And when you do, it's not actually about you. And, and you're free to actually live out the very life that God's given you. That's, there's an order. There's a priority. Jesus reorients them. He, he reorders their expectations of the good life their definition of what success looks like. And we'll never be able to walk with joy, with peace, with purpose, unless that's part of our regular, daily, routine living. 
asking God to reorder our desires, to have him, to be satisfied in him, to know him, to love him above all things. And I'm, I'm coming to believe that one of the reasons why some of us who've known Jesus for a long time and aren't currently in a place of real crisis where we've like blown up our own world, that's the time where you realize, okay, I really need Jesus. But when that's not the case and you've been walking with him and you've been slowly growing and changing, um, forgiveness feels drab and flat. It, it can feel like, okay, okay, cool. Yeah, no, that's right. Forgiven, forgiven. yes. Yeah, that's good. good. I'm glad. This is a good thing. So can we get on with the good life? Some things I want to see, make happen, do. We reorder and we, we re- reorder our desires by seeing Jesus, by, asking, by seeing him and asking him to help us see ourselves. That's what the psalmist says in, 130, in Psalm 139. He says, search me, O God, and, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Like Tease out what is actually the true thing about what I long for. Is, is this what I long for or is it you? And then check this out. And see if there is any grievous way in me, is there any ways in which I'm saying this is actually my life and I just want to use you to accomplish it or, or actually there's an entire other life that I'm just going to pursue on my own? And then lead me in the way everlasting. Like, like towards the real good life. I, I must be able to see what is right and true and real. What's true about me, what's true about you in order to really follow this good life. Loved ones, we never graduate from the cross. Never. Now, and some of us relate uh, and engage Jesus' forgiveness. My sense is that we, we kind of, we look at forgiveness in one of two directions and, and on a spectrum, of course. Some of us, um, some of us are defined by our sin. We, we're defined by our sin. It's like the truest thing about who we are. And so we're the kind of, we're, we're, we're the kind of people where, where Jesus offers forgiveness and we're like, yeah, but not for me. Yeah, I find myself so trapped in the things that I, either that thing that I did that one time that is so inexcusable and I'll never be able to get over that or, or the thing that I can't seem to stop doing and, and that's so defining about who I am that forgiveness is for other people, the better people, you know, some of these people, and it, but it can't be for me. And so I'm defined by my sin and Jesus wants freedom for you in that. He wants you to hear, son, your sins are forgiven. Daughter, your sins are forgiven. It's better news than you realize. That's why he says in John, First uh, John chapter one, verse nine. Okay, let me this is true, okay? I, I need to say that because if, if this is an area you struggle, you're not gonna believe this is true. And I just need to say, like, the Lord says this is true. If, you, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice how it's not a thing or an idea. Do you notice that? He is, he's the kind of person who is not only just, but he's faithful, that, that, that he's pulling us into a relationship with a person. That's the magnitude of what the good life looks like, that you can, you can move towards him with confidence. He will cleanse you. He has cleansed you. So come, confess your sins. You'll be healed. And some of us are defined by our sins and others are just generally dismissive of our sins. That's probably the other side of it. It's like, well, it's, it's just not that big of a deal. As I said, in a culture and community that says, well, there's no God and so there's probably no sin and everyone should pretty much just kind of come up with whatever their lines are. It's kind of the shades of gray. Then 
then, then what's really good and bad? What's really right and wrong? And, and what versions of wrong are really actually wrong? And, and so we're, we're the kind of people who, who wink at the, hey, yeah, I know that's maybe not the best way to do it, but come on, God's not that uptight. Find ourselves giving ourselves permission. Small things really don't matter. I mean, come on, we can... We can dabble with a little bit of pornography. I mean, just to get just to get the edge off, you know. But not it's not a problem. And you know, when it's been a hard day, and which is every day, and 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 it takes a couple of drinks to make it just to the evening because the work was tough or the kids were overwhelming, and like it, it's not, it's, it really, how, how big of a deal is that really? We find ourselves escaping into the fantasy lives of other people and. I don't know, an hour and then maybe two and, and we live we live here, not here with the real people. But it's you know, you, you want to stay up to speed on the people's lives and be connected, you know? So I mean, how, how big of a deal is it? Does it really matter? And I would say this is probably where I'm I'm personally most concerned for the church at large is is like Satan's playing us a lullaby. And we're just falling asleep. The did God really say? I mean, do you hear it? Does it really matter? I mean, is is it really killing you, or is it just helping you make it? I mean, let's just attach a couple other. Maybe you just come up with your own. Don't worry about Jesus helping you get to this thing. Maybe you could just do it on your own. That's the way to go. And so. Just be dismissive of the small things. You can't be that serious about it anyway. And by the way, maybe walking is better. Maybe. Maybe walking is the good life. There's a sense that... Um, to try, even even with a, from a from a Christian culture context, that that forgiveness, and by that I mean the doorway of relationship with Jesus, is um, well secondary. Because give me something we can use, something we can see, something that. Something we get our hands around that we can we can experience now, and I don't mean just like all the terrible things. I'm talking about the good things, right? I mean, because what we really need is what we really need is for the poor and the illiterate to be educated, it's because education can save the world. What we really need is for people who who are, are in marginalized context or, or don't have the resources they need, or and they just need to be vaccinated, and they need some technological advances to get clean water, and so so. So medicine and, and technology can save us. Or, or there's people that, that are indeed mistreated and, and, and actually marginalized. And so what we really need is we need, we need just governments. Just governments will save us. Or, or just policies will save us. And these are good things. They're actually, they're derivative of the good life that God has for us. They're actually the thing that a, that a forgiven heart, a restored soul, should be stepping into, should be galvanized to make happen, should rally people to see happen. But it is not the good life. And because, 
because forgiveness isn't interesting enough and the life of Jesus is not palpable enough, then these secondary things can be life. And we call it faith and we call it Christianity and it doesn't have Jesus in it and it's dead. Though it produces something. And we're at risk. We're at risk of being seduced by secondary good things with the name of Jesus without the redemption that he promises and that must happen for it to have any life in it. Sin needs the forgiveness of a savior. And that's, that's where Jesus goes. And loved ones, we have to go there too. We have to go there too in our own hearts and lives and with the people that we're talking about what this faith is. Yes, faith without works is dead. But it's faith in him. Jesus offers the thing that is better than walking. Boy, does he ever. And Jesus knows the things that are in our hearts. Verse 8 says, And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus question within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Jesus knows and sees the things that are going inside of you. You must not be listening. Jesus knows and sees all the things that are going on inside of you, including right now. Now, he's not telling them to me, so you're good. But it just, he knows and sees them. I, I think we, we, might, we might forget that. It's really good news. It's also really sobering news. Here's where it's good news. Jesus is moved, and he gives grace even with the weakest of faith. Now, you may find yourself, if you're familiar with the Bible and have some interest in theology, you may realize, interesting, it says, and seeing their faith, Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Anyone go, huh? I thought the rest of the Bible said, like, someone has to go, I repent, or I ask for God to forgive me, and, and then I actually experience and receive grace. Anybody, right? By, by grace, you have been saved through faith, right? Repent and believe, and you shall be saved, right? That's what the Bible says everywhere else, right? Anyone, right? Just nod your heads. Uh-huh. If you don't, just pretend. Um, that's what it says everywhere else. And so what's happening here? Is Jesus just, like, deconstructing the gospel in this particular moment? No. First of all, it can't be. So what's going on here? Well, what must be going on is Jesus is seeing an unarticulated faith in this. And the reason we know this is because it says he can see your hearts. He can see your soul. He knows what you're thinking, what you're feeling, what you're longing for, what you're desiring. And he sees in this young man a longing for grace and mercy from God somehow. It has to be. And with that kernel, that nugget, that tiniest little thing, Jesus is moved. And he brings and he offers grace. He has to. It has to be. And by the way, this is such good news. Because this is true for you too. That means that you don't have to be some kind of spiritual champion. You don't even have to know a bunch about the Bible. That's what the Bible says. Like, If you just have faith like a mustard seed, like the tiniest little seed. If you have faith like a child, well, you can step right into the kingdom of God. That's the good news. He sees your heart. It's not the quantity of your faith. It's always the object of your faith. 
You know that, right? It's not how much faith you have. It's who you have faith in. Faith is a gift. It's not a virtue. You didn't muster it up. It was received. It was seen. And just like the man who, <laughs> we'll see him in Mark 9, whose son is a, a demon-possessed, and, and he, Jesus comes to him, and the man says, if you can do anything, and Jesus, this is a great moment, if you can do anything to help, Jesus goes, if I can. Nothing's impossible if you'll believe. It's just a great scene. What do you mean if I can? You know, it's like, <laughs> yes, I can. Um, but you must believe. And you know, remember what the man says? It's almost like suddenly he comes to his senses or he has this moment of like, nothing's working the way he wanted to. And he says, I believe, but help my unbelief. He's saying, I, I, I think I got, I got something. I got something, I, I got something, can you work with this? And what I, what I want to say is he can work with this. I don't know what you got, I don't know where you are, but I can tell you he can work with it. He, he sees it, he sees it in you. You let him work with it? Will you, will you pull it out and say, I believe? Would you help all the things that I still don't believe, still struggling to trust you in? Loved ones, Listen. Jesus is more Jesus is more committed to your forgiveness than you are to being forgiven. He, incidentally, he's more committed to your happiness, to your fulfillment, to your freedom, to your peace than you are to your own fulfillment, your own peace, your own That's true also, but he is more he is more committed to forgiving you than you are to being forgiven. Let that just poof. He wants to. Because he doesn't forgive you because you came with something. He forgives you because he came with something. That's the difference. You do not need to convince him to forgive you. If that's what you're doing, first of all, it won't work. And secondly, it's not who he is. He knows your heart. That's good news, and it's also genuinely sobering news. See previous comment I made. He knows your thoughts. He knows the distorted desires, the motivations of why you actually do the things you do, not the, not the reasons you say you do the things you do. No, 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 the real reasons for why. He knows all those, and that should be a little sobering. I'm about to read you one of the most sobering verses in the Bible, in my opinion. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 says, listen to this. Are you ready? And no creature is hidden from his sight. That's uh, no creatures. That's you and me. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of whom, sorry, the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That, that's naked and exposed. To, to the eyes, and we, uh, to the one we have to give account to. All things exposed. All things, all people. That's you. And he knows it all. And apparently, according to this, you have to give an account. Now, I, what I was hoping to help you with is if you don't think you need forgiveness... This is the reality that when we step into it and we go, 
Huh. It's not usually the manifestation, right? It's, it's the things under the things. It's the motivations. That's the far scarier stuff than it is the, it's, it's the why you're not, you're actually kind of like fudging on your taxes, not that you're fudging on your taxes. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's, it's the why. It's, that's this thing that's actually far more detrimental, far more deadly internally to you than what you're actually choosing to do. It's, it's why you're flirting with the man or the woman at the office. and It's why. Not, not, not that you're doing it. Though that's, I mean, still in the same ballpark, but I'm just saying it's, it's the why. It's the thing under the thing. It's always there. And that is far worse. And you have way less control and way less honesty about that. Sobering news. So, are you hiding? One of the reasons why you might find yourself, your sins are forgiven. What sins? It's because you're hiding. You're hiding from yourself. You're pretending. Are you trying to fool him? Maybe you're fooling yourself and you fooled other people, but, but you, can't, you can't fool him. He's, he sees all. Eugene Peterson says this. He says, only when I recognize and confess my sin am I in a position to recognize and respond to the God who saves me from my sin. If I'm ignorant or indifferent to my sin, I'm ignorant and, in, and or indifferent to the great and central good news that Jesus saves. In the Christian life, our primary task isn't to avoid sin, which is impossible anyway, but to recognize it. Loved ones, Jesus knows the things that are in your heart. And Jesus does the thing that is both easy and hard. Verse 9 says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your mat, and go home? So which, which is easier? It's a great question. This question's actually puzzled commentators and, and theological writers for like 2,000 years, so you're in good company. Which is easier? I mean, at, at first glance, you would say, well, clearly he's saying it's way easier to say your sins are forgiven. You know what, DJ? Your sins are forgiven. Do we have proof? I mean, he's glowing a little more now that I'm talking to him. But right, but I mean, your sins are forgiven. You don't really know. But if I'm like, hey, DJ, fly to the ceiling, you would know whether or not that happened pretty quick. So it seems like what Jesus is saying is, hey, which is easier to say? Well, obviously, the thing that you can't see, that's got to be the easier thing to say. And, 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 and the thing that he ends up doing, which is to raise him up, must be the more difficult thing. And that's true. It's actually true. That's correct. But it's, it's also true the other way. I say to you, you're... Sins are, are forgiven. Because that's going to require something. Something tremendous, actually. When Jesus, when Jesus says something, it, it's synonymous with doing it, right? And, the Lord, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. I say to you, I say to you, take your mat and go home. And he rose up took his mat, went home, saying, doing, same thing. So when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven. And, and that's, that's something that the scribes don't miss. 
The people that are on looking are going like, what do they say in verse 7? Why does this man speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? But God alone. They're paying attention, and they're, they're right. The answer, the answer is no one. No one can forgive sins but God alone. And, and what Jesus is saying in this by saying your sins are forgiven is he's saying, I can forgive all of your sins. And if you've been a Christian a long time, you may think, well, of course, he's God. But listen to what he's saying. I, I think, actually, Tim Keller has a great metaphor for this. Let me, let me walk down and use two people. All right, Jay, stand up. Dad, stand up. So these are good guys, so I'll use both of them. It's good. So if Jay punches my dad, okay? No, you don't have to. I know, I know. It's tempting. <laughs> It's tempting. Um, and, uh, and I step in and say, Jay, Jay, nice shot. No, Jay, um, <laughs> you're forgiven for having struck my dad. Um, my dad, as a normal human being, may look at me and go like, I'm sorry. Who, what gives you the right to forgive him for the thing that he did to me? He didn't do it to you. How can you forgive him for the thing that he did to me? You guys uh, does that make sense? I mean, imagine trying that with your kids or with your spouse. What Jesus is saying is all the sins that you've committed for the totality of your life were actually against me. That's what David's talking about in, uh, when he, he comes in Psalm 51 after done, having done some of the most atrocious stuff, right? He, he, he sleeps with Bathsheba, has an affair with Bathsheba, gets her pregnant. Then he kills her husband trying to cover the pregnancy and then lies about it and hides. And finally, Nathan comes to him, right? And he, confess, he, can, he confronts him and David confesses. He falls to his knees and confesses. And, but what does he say in Psalm 51? I think this is pivotal. He says, against you and you. He's talking to, to the Lord. He says, Lord, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Oh, wait a minute. You sinned against Bathsheba, definitely sinned against Uriah, against the people, against the other guards and, and, and warriors that were killed. He sinned against the entire nation. What do you mean against you and you only? Because that is the reality. That is ultimate reality. That all sin are against God. All sin is against God. And Jesus is saying, your sin is, is against me. And that is such good news because it wouldn't do for anyone else to pay for it but the one against whom it was committed. That's why it's actually infinitely harder to say your sins are forgiven. It costs Christ infinitely more for that reality to manifest in the paraplegic and in you. It's way more. And it, it should change everything in us. And, and it should change everything in us. It should change everything in us. It should be the thing we re- rehearse and we come home to and come back to. And it's one of the reasons we come to this table every week. Lest we find ourselves forgiving, forgetting what it cost the Lord, seeing everything in you 
seeing everything in you, he still goes to the cross. When he makes that statement, it's real, I mean, commentators are saying, like, this is when the shadow of the cross shows up in the path of Jesus, all the way in Mark chapter two. Like for him to say that statement, he is headed to the cross. And because he says statements like that, he will be taken to the cross. And he does that for you. That's, that's the transformative, life-altering reality of what forgiveness really has in it. It is the doorway to him. And he is the good life. And he has the good life for you. And he says, come. Don't, don't hide. Oh, don't, don't pretend. Don't, don't, don't you realize it's way worse than you think? And I am that gracious. So come with your kernel of faith and your, and your, and your repentance and your willingness to look and, and come and, and receive from me. And I will get to say to you, my son, my daughter, your sins are forgiven. And then, boy, then we can walk and we can run. And one day we'll all walk and all run and all shall be well because of this, because of him. Let's pray. Father, We want to be the kind of people who, seeing the magnitude of your forgiveness for us, um, do like all the people did at the end of this story, and that is they worshiped and glorified God. That, that's some of what we get to do at this table, is to, is to glorify you, to, to remember. As we, hold, as we hold these elements and hear your voice saying, my son, my daughter, your sins are forgiven. Like, it is done and, and you must come back. You must continue to be with me. Lord, we want to hear your voice. We want to see you. We want to ask through your word that you, would, that you would open up our hearts, that we would be pierced and, and changed. And Holy Spirit, would you help us to see how deep our need is and how, how complete your answer is. Thank you. Thank you for this table, for this meal, for this great salvation we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In his name we pray, amen. One of the things that this table does is it, um, this meal, it, it, it tells us that this salvation, this rescue, this forgiveness is available to all who will believe. And this table also tells us that this salvation, this forgiveness, this rescue is necessary for everyone if they will enter into the promise and the good life that he has for you. And so as you come and receive these elements, that's your invitation to recognize the availability, come as you are, and the necessity, you must come. Receive the body and blood of Christ for you.